I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Representative Sylvia Garcia of Texas's 29th Congressional District. We discuss Biden's agenda for the Latino community and what we can expect from a Biden-Harris administration, including their plans to address income and healthcare disparities and the disproportionate impact of COVID. Representative Garcia also addresses those criticisms of the campaign around whether their outreach to the Latino community is enough. So here is my conversation with Representative Sylvia Garcia. Representative Garcia, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. You know, first I want to talk about the Biden campaign. I guess these are criticisms, not doing enough to connect with the Latino community. And I want to know if you think that that assessment is fair or do you think that there's more work to do there? Well, you know, I think people are just so excited about the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris uh, ticket that everybody wants them like right there now in their neighborhood and knocking at their door. I mean, they're that excited about this ticket that I think that there's some folks who, who just feel like until they go to come to their neighborhood, it's just not happening. But but I know I serve on the National Latino Council for, for uh, Biden. I was an early supporter. I know that from day one, Joe Biden has been reaching out to Latinos. Uh, but I know that we can always do better. You know, anything that we can do to make sure that we reach more Latino voters, uh, not just in Florida, not just in Texas, not just in California and New York and Arizona and New Mexico, but everywhere across the country. Because if you look at any state, these days we have Latinos everywhere. We have them in Hawaii. We have them in Alaska. So I think what matters is knowing that, that he has started his Spanish language press he has started making sure that we we air as much as possible. And he's gotten the, the uh, Latino leadership councils now in, in several states. I know I'm working on, on building one up uh, in, in Texas because he wants to make sure that he touches the Latino community. And especially also is Dr. Biden. I think Dr. Biden early on recognized how important the Latino vote was and more importantly, how important the Latina vote was, that I know that she had a virtual event with with um, what we call the Comadres del Congreso, uh, which is Debbie uh, McCursell Powell from Florida, Veronica Escobar from, from Texas, and myself. We're all three in Judiciary Committee, and people here call the Las Comadres the Judiciary, and it stuck. And Jill heard about us and wanted to do an event with us, and we did. And now we're going to launch a Comadre to Comadre campaign uh, to make sure that we impress on all our Latina voters that we got to vote and tell one Comadre to another uh, to remind it and work in our own Comadre network to make sure that we come out and vote to make sure that we make the change that's needed at the White House. So I'm excited. So one of the things I found really impressive about Biden's response to that specific criticism is that he wasn't defensive. And I think, you know, right before he visited Florida, a reporter asked him about whether there was enough outreach to the Latino community. And Biden said something like, you know, I'm going to work like the devil to make sure that I listen and earn their vote. So he was open to the idea that there was room for improvement. And I think both Biden and Harris are both consistent in responding without being defensive, you know, and they bring people to the table. Yeah, well, there's a lot of work to do, and I think we can always do better. And I can tell you, he's got a lot of surrogates who are willing to do that. He's got a lot, a lot of people on the ground excited to do that. I mean, I can, let me tell you a story. Saturday, I don't do too many in-person events, but they wanted me to go to a, 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 a phone bank and I was assured that it was social distance. Everybody's wearing a mask. And I went 
And the minute I walked in, it was about Sylvia E. Joe, Sylvia E. Joe. I mean, they know that Joe Biden is running. They're excited because it hurts them to see a White House that really is about hurting people. For us in Texas, it's about what we've seen him doing at the border. But it's also seeing that they're not getting more help and more relief uh, on, for on everybody on unemployment. It's also about what he's doing to Medicare and Social Security, because that hurts our abuelitos and abuelitas. So people know, and they know that to make the change that we need, uh, they're going to have to get there and, and, and work those phones. And uh, of course, I'm the member of Congress, so I'm first, ladies first. Uh, so that became their chant, Sylvia E. Joe. And I told them, I said, well, it's not just Sylvia E. Joe. I said, it's Sylvia, Joe, y todos los demócratas. Uh, so uh, I left them with that. But they're, they're excited. They're making calls. And all of these were Spanish language uh, phone calls to low propensity Latino voters in Harris County. We're working. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you know, what's what's hard and, and interesting about working on a, a platform that addresses the Latino community, as I know, just like the black community, that, you know, people often treat the group like it's a monolith, right? They have these monolithic platforms. And I know the Latino community, just depending on where you are, the issues and what they care about just vary so much, right? You have the Cuban community in Florida, you've got Puerto Rico, you've got Texans, and you know, you've got the community in Nevada. And, you know, it just seems like a really hard thing to address. Do you think it's fair to, to even think about crafting a plan for each of these communities separately? Well, I mean, I think I think it's only fair that, that they do start some micro-targeting. I mean, you do that with the general white community. I mean, you don't go and campaign in, 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 in Alabama, uh, the way you would in Wisconsin or you would in New York, you know, it's, it's geographic, it's regional, it's cultural, it's, it's, it's ethnicity. So you, you've got to do that. I mean, we can all agree on the broader issues like protecting Medicare and protecting the Affordable Care Act, protecting pre-existing conditions, reducing drug prices. Healthcare is a big issue. And we know that when Trump put a pause on the payroll taxes, that's money that's not going to Social Security. In my mind, that's one of the first steps that he's taking to cut Social Security. That's on the minds of every senior or anyone thinking of retirement. I mean, that issue you can cut across no matter what, what district or, or what state. But if you're there going to try to message it, you know, you, you can't just say help our seniors. you got to say our abuelitas, you know, we got to say our, our abuelitos. We, you know, it's a different way of, of, of messaging. And I think that's the, the, the distinction. So we're no different than any other group. You know, people will suggest that, well, you know, there's too many Latinos and you all don't agree. And it's like, no, we, we agree as much as, I mean, look at Trump and, Bi and Biden. They're both two white boys, but they're very different. You would not message to those two white boys the way you would to Latinos. And, you know, and I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying that we're no different. For me, I think it's uh, what's more important is that we need to focus on the things that bring us together and we need to make the, the change that we need uh, that's positive, that's compassionate and caring. And that's Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden is a very compassionate, caring individual and, and, and he demonstrates that. Like you said, his response is not defensive. His response is, how can I do it better? 
And I know he's going to build back this country better. And he's going to be, it's going to be a more caring, compassionate and consistent White House come next January. Yeah. And you're right. You are no different as a community. You care about the same things. You care about health care. You care about, you know, fair wages, you know, but there are some things that disproportionately affect the Latino community, you know, in comparison to other communities, right? Like one of its plans is to raise the minimum wage and that helps everyone. That helps everyone in a low wage job. But however, there is a disproportionate percentage of Latinos who have low wage jobs. So we'll help them generally. But how do you, how do you address the biases that keep them in those jobs in the first place? Well, I think that's historical. And I think we're facing the same issue with the disparities involved in in, uh, the impact of COVID. You know, uh, historically, we've not had the access to health care that others have. Historically, we need to make sure that that we erase some of those disparities, that that we we build back and that we establish good paying jobs. For example, his, his plan for climate if we're going to transition and make sure that we we have less pollution and we have all of these other issues that, that cause and, and, and don't help with the climate change issue, he knows it can't happen overnight. We have to transition. We have to create the jobs for the people that work in some of our current industries. So we're, we're going to have to work together to make sure that whatever whatever we do, that we include Latinos and Latinas at the table from day one in the Joe Biden uh, White House. Because he understands that this is the, the key to building back better. And he's the key to making sure that the disparities in the past do not move forward. So I think in any plan that he has, he's going to be mindful that where there is a disparity that doesn't work for, for people of color or a disparity that impacts Latinos, that he make it a little bit different. So we're going to have to make some some real changes. Yeah, I think a good example of that is the the ACA, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, because I know he wants to expand that generally for everyone. I know that there are about 4 million Latinos, I think, gained coverage under Obamacare. You're absolutely right. And that's why when, when, when you talk about reducing drug prices, when you when you talk about, you know, Texas uh, not expanding Medicaid, and when you talk about you know, our children not having health clinics at their schools or at a community clinic that they can attend, that hurts our, our community. And there's nothing more important in the Latino community but the future of their children. So when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, when it comes for a good quality of life, a Latino parent's going to do everything humanly possible to make sure they secure that future for their children. So I think if, if the outreach is done uh, and that we do the job that we think uh, we're going to do, we're going to be able to convince the, those parents that the only way to get that change is with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the White House. Right. And one thing that I'm, I'm excited to see, he isn't just stopping with, you know, the expansion of the ACA, but he's also, you know, thinking about in relation to health care, um, undocumented immigrants, right? Like he, I think he's increasing funding for community health centers, which they often often use. Well, and I think we'll see the community health centers uh, uh, get increased dollars of federally qualified clinics. I think you'll see an expansion of some of the SNAP program and some of the food programs that help local food banks uh, that really feed people as long as they're hungry with with no questions asked. Uh, You know, so I think you're going to see more attention to some of those programs. And you're definitely going to see our kids, our dreamers, that they're finally going to get the protection that they need. And hopefully we can get the DAPA program back up. 
uh, in such a way that it can withstand any attack uh, so that we can make sure that it's not just the dreamers, but the parents of those dreamers that have been here for so many years can stay in this country. So I think they know who's for dreamers and who's not. They know who is for making sure that their kids have a shot at a good education and who's not. And they know who is really protecting pre-existing conditions in, in Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, and it's not uh, this president. You know, Donald Trump has done nothing but to try to destroy the Affordable Care Act. The Republicans have voted against it when they were in charge for like 80 times or something. I can't remember the number. But they've done nothing but try to destroy Obamacare and Medicaid, too. And, and for us in Texas, you know, we're, 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 we've got an uninsured rate of one out of three. And when you look at those, uh, it's, it's predominantly uh, uh, one, about half of those, I believe, are, are, are Latino. And many of those folks live in my district. So uh, health care is a huge issue. Uh, and I think that, that we're going to need to make sure that, that, that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, are in the White House to, to protect everything that, that, that President Obama started uh, and that we can build on it uh, so that we can have it in the future for all our children. Yeah. And the most egregious thing is that they're doing this in the time of COVID, right? Um, that's the most egregious thing, trying to destroy health care. Millions of people gain health care under Obama. Well, and, and that would have been one of the easiest things for, for uh, them to do is, is you know, our, our HEROES bill includes a, a lot of money for testing and tracing and treatment. Uh, and they've, they've rejected that. They've rejected some of the, the work that, that the dollars that we have in there for hospitals and for PPE for hospitals. So here we are in the middle of still a, a crisis uh, that frankly didn't have to be this way, that could have been so many people's lives saved. But this president uh, is more concerned about his reelection and covering up his failures than he is about whether or not people are covering up their faces. In fact, he makes fun of Joe Biden because he covers up his face. It's like this president is focused only on himself, his friends and his allies and not the American people in getting past this pandemic. But I want to ask about Biden's immigration plan, right? And how he plans to address, you know, the the Trump's administration's policy, you know, in regards to the detention centers and family separation. And, you know, now some really horrible news is coming out from ICE about, you know, women in these forced surgeries and hysterectomies, right? And I'm just curious about just generally, you know, how does Biden plan to address the harms done to these families by the Trump administration? Well, first of all, and I, I was his one of his appointees to the DNC platform drafting committee. And one of the first things that I checked before I said yes that I would serve, I wanted to make sure that his policy on, on deportations was going to be one that our community would, would find acceptable. And, and I was so pleased to, to see that he will have a moratorium for 100 days as soon as he gets into office to work on passing comprehensive immigration reform and to take that time uh, to look at all these horrible, horrible executive orders that this president has, has uh, issued that essentially treat immigrants and the Latino community as if we were just pawns, political pawns, for him to just do whatever he wanted to. Uh, so I expect Joe and Kamala to go in there with their you know, shirts and blouse rolled up, ready to work uh, to pass comprehensive immigration reform. 
I, I expect him to reverse uh, some of the executive orders, and it will just be fun uh, watching him throw out Stephen Miller out of the White House, <laughs> uh, the architect behind a lot of this atrocious policies. And I can tell you, there is no part of any of Joe and Jill Biden's DNA that would stand for anyone uh, to tear a child away from their parents' arms. There's no way that they would tolerate that. They wouldn't tolerate it in any community, uh, much less a, a, a family that was, was in detention. And I think you're going to find that he's going to make some changes at some of his detention centers and, and, and move toward community-based sponsorships, because most of these folks that come through have family here. There's people that will take them and sponsor them and give them a place to stay uh, while they're going through this process. There is no reason to have this inhumane, unconscionable policies of this administration. So I look forward to, to seeing Joe and Kamala uh, working on these issues. And I can tell you that it will be done within his first 100 days. And I think we have to be honest that, uh, you know, some of the harms that, that have incurred with some of these families, especially the kids who you know, have been separated, you know, really small kids from their families, from their mothers, you know, some of that can't be undone. So we just have to do the best that we can to help them heal. Well, and he, he, he and I've heard him speak and he is committed to making sure that, that we're, we find the parents of some of these children that, that are still not been located and returned back to their parents. Uh, and, and he would not stand for any of this. Uh, I know I have a bill that, that would prevent ICE from shackling pregnant women. You know, it's just atrocious that they would, would, would do that. Just as it's atrocious to think that, that women uh, in detention or even men in detention are a, are a source of an experiment that they can do for any reason, whether it's hysterectomies or anything else. I mean, we've seen that historically, that people in prison have been used as experimental you know, elements uh, for other cases and the use of other vaccines in the past. How horrible that we're, we would even allow this. I mean, how horrible that they're using um, these uh, Border Patrol people and, and ICE people to come up here to Washington and, and join in on, on beating up on some of the protesters. How horrible. You saw the article last week that they, they uh, used a plane on the pretense of bringing detainees to the area, but it really was so that some of those folks could come on the plane with them so that they, they could be assigned uh, to work that detail against the protesters. So they treat our detainees like they were just nothing, just, a, again, a political pawn that they can use for whatever reason. Joe is not going to tolerate that. Kamala is not going to tolerate that. We're going to see real change. Before we go, I do want to ask you about the Vanessa Guillon case, because I know we talked about Dr. Jill Biden and her involvement, and I know she's been involved specifically in that case. Can you talk a little bit about that case? Vanessa Guillon, as you know, is is a traffic story of of have a little girl's dream of becoming a soldier uh, that turned into a tragedy uh, at Fort Hood, Texas. 20-year-old, joined the Army, just as she dreamt of uh, since she was about 10 years old. And uh, she went missing in April of this year from Fort Hood, Texas. There was a search. She They finally found her remains um, the weekend of July the 4th, and she had been murdered. And it looks like from everything that we know now, that it was another uh, person in, in, in the Army who did it on the base. And 
it was someone that, that she had mentioned to her sister or to her mother that had sexually harassed her. So this really is just, number one, a tragedy, but it also tells us that we need to do more for women who join the service, uh, women who want to be soldiers, and men too, because there was also another case uh, where a young soldier, uh, this, this one from the Boston area, who he had filed a complaint of sexual harassment, and he uh, was found dead also about two or three weeks ago. So we need to do a lot more to protect our soldiers, to make sure that they have an avenue that, that, um, to make complaints of sexual harassment without fear of retaliation, without fear of, of bullying, without fear of, of any kind of repercussion. Uh, and I know that Dr. Biden has always made, our future first lady, has always made working with, with uh, veterans and veterans' families a priority. Uh, so I think it's it's good that, that we're going to have a first lady that's going to care about veterans and care about the families of those veterans that will work side by side uh, with Joe. And in Vanessa's case, we're working on a bill that would put the complaint process for sexual harassment, harassment cases outside the chain of command and to create an environment that's more conducive and, and open and transparent so that any soldier, male or female, uh, can can feel like they can report it and that it will be investigated fairly, independently, and without retribution. So uh, I think it's good to know that we're going to have a first lady that's going to be on the side of veteran families. Yeah, well, I, for one, am really anxious and excited that they take office, you know, soon in January, elected in November, take office in January. I'm looking forward to that. And I thank you so much for all of your work on their campaign and your work on behalf of your constituents and just your leadership. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Well, thank you for for, um, for having me and call us back anytime. If we can squeeze in a few minutes, I'll be happy to do it. <laughs>